Hey, Haley. Hey, Caitlin. I saw you in Women's Day magazine. I saw you on Women's Day website. Yeah, on their website. On their website. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Fuck. Anyway, That's so yeah. funny that I that we saw each other. What we are the did odds? see each other. What are the what are the what are the odds, odds that we would have been in the fifteen uh, true crime podcast true crime podcast that'll scare and thrill you? I believe that is what I we do. We scare the, and we thrill. I think that is the name of the article. I am going to confirm that. If anyone didn't know, we were featured on Women's Day Magazine's website we by Liz Schumer. Thank you, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. And Love if you, anyone, mean it. <laughs> yes, 15 true crime podcasts that'll scare and thrill you. And, and we are one of those. I'm And we're so in good excited. company. Yeah, a little intimidating company, to be completely oh, honest. Oh, completely honest. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, but that is... The imposter syndrome is real. It is. Uh, but it's incredible. And if yes. there are any new listeners because of that, uh, let us know. Yeah. Because I would love to Reach hear... Reach out. Say hi. Yeah. I'd love to hear from all new people. I'm Haley. I am Caitlin. And this is Crime Culture. It is. Oh, we're doing yeah. so good. We are and, doing this. Uh, I'm going to jump straight into the episode for this week because it's doozy. It's a yeah. long one. And I want to make sure it's not like a three-hour episode. So, as you might have seen from the title, we're talking about the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah, we are. And yes, it is, uh, like I said, it's a doozy. Um, It was a social psychology experiment that attempted to investigate the psychological effect of perceived power. And it mainly focused on the struggle between prisoners and prison officers. Which is interesting concept. I'm about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was conducted at Stanford University, as the title of the experiment might suggest. Um, and it was done between August 14th and the 20th in 1971. And okay. it was done by a research group led by psychology professor Philip Zimbardo. And it used college That's students. A name. Yes. <laughs> um, in the study, volunteers were randomly assigned to be either guards or prisoners in a mock prison with Zimbardo acting as the superintendent. And spoiler alert, it goes fucking horribly. So okay. good to know. <laughs> so more than 70 applicants answered the ad to be part of the experiment, and each were given diagnostic interviews and personality tests to eliminate candidates with psychological problems, medical disabilities, or a history of crime and drug abuse, which I assume had to be an extensive testing process to make sure that yeah. all the people that they chose were of sound mind and body and had no history that would uh affect the results of this test that's that's, okay that's wow yeah so it's worse when you think about all the thought that went into it yeah yeah (laughs) but ultimately the group that was left was a sample of 24 healthy intelligent middle-class male college students from the u.s and canada who happened to be in the Stanford area and wanted to earn $15 a day by participating in the study. So on all dimensions that the researchers were able to test and observe, all of the kids, well, adults, young adults, uh, they reacted normally. And these boys were arbitrarily divided into two groups by the flip of a coin, half randomly assigned to be guards and half prisoners. And it's really important to remember, as we continue to talk about the experiment, 
that at the beginning, there was no difference between the boys who were assigned to be prisoners and the boys that were assigned to be guards. So it was purely coin flip. So this entire experiment could have been flip-flop the other way if things had gone differently, which is crazy. So yikes. Yeah, it's yikes. The entire thing is yikes. It is yikes. You have been awarded one yike. (laughs) So day one, uh, the experiment started on a quiet Sunday morning in Palo Alto, California. Oh, I know Palo uh, Alto. You're around there. Yeah. Uh, A police car went through the town picking up the college students as part of a uh, quote-unquote mass arrest for violation of penal codes 211, armed robbery, and burglary. That's upsetting. yeah, well, it it was the they kind of made it, um, yeah, like a whole scenario from yeah. like minute one. So like, the suspect was picked up at his own house, right. charged, warned of his legal rights, spread eagle against the police car, searched and handcuffed, while neighbors even looked on. That's so neighbors didn't know what was going on. No, nobody was able to be like let in on it because then that yeah. would ruin the whole that thing. That would ruin the results. Yeah, they wanted it to be as authentic as possible. That's so. Up. The suspect was put in the rear of the police car and carried off to the police station, and the sirens were wailing the entire time. The car arrived at the station, and the suspect was brought inside and formally booked, again, warned of his Miranda rights, which we talk about in a previous episode. Um, They were fingerprinted and had complete identification um, made in the police station. And the suspect was then taken to a holding cell and was left there blindfolded. So... Yeah, so feels very real at this point. Wow. Um, To help simulate a prison environment as closely as possible, the researchers consulted a former prisoner who had served nearly 17 years behind bars and advised the research team on what it was like to be a prisoner. And he also introduced them to a number of other ex-convicts and correctional personnel during an earlier Stanford school, uh, a summer school class called the Psychology of Imprisonment. So, um, the prison was constructed by boarding up each end of a corridor in the basement of Stanford's psychology department, and that became the quote-unquote yard, and it was the only outside place where the prisoners were allowed to walk, eat, exercise, um, except to go to the bathroom, which was down the hallway, and they did this blindfolded so that they didn't know their way out of the prison. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. So, to create prison cells, doors were removed off three laboratory rooms and replaced with specially made doors with steel bars and cell numbers. And at one end of the hallway, a small opening through which the researchers could videotape and record the events that were happening. On the other side of the corridor, opposite the cells, was a small closet which became the hole, or solitary confinement. And it was dark and very confining, and only about two feet wide and two feet deep. Um, but was tall enough so that a bad prisoner could stand up. And there was also an intercom system that allowed the team to secretly bug the cells to monitor what the prisoners discussed and also made public announcements to the prisoners. There were no windows and no clocks and no way to judge the passage of time, um, which later resulted in some time-distorting experiences for the prisoners and the guards. So the prison sentence started with humiliation as each prisoner was stripped naked, searched again, and sprayed down to get rid of germs in a similar fashion to images captured by an American photographer named Danny Lyons. 
uh, in his series about a Texas prison. And um, it was thought that spraying, like spraying down the prisoners would uh, kind of humiliate them saying like, Oh, you're dirty. You're not bringing germs into our prison, which is super fucked up because it actually happened. It's not like they just did this for the test. Like, yeah, this is a real thing that happened in prisons. I'm, praying it doesn't happen now but it it definitely did in the past yeah um so each prisoner was then issued a uniform and the main part of the uniform was a dress or smock type thing uh that was to be worn at all times with no underclothes on the smock on the front and the back yeah what Uh, is this fucking star wars like there's underwear in space (laughs) i'll get to it so on the front and the back was a prison id number And on each prisoner's right ankle was a heavy chain that was bolted on and worn at all times. And they only had rubber sandals for footwear. And each prisoner covered their hair with a stocking cap made of a woman's nylon stocking. And as you have already said, real prisoners don't wear dresses or smocks like this. But the prison consultants confirmed that prisoners do feel emasculated and humiliated and the researchers tried to recreate this feeling quicker with their wardrobe choice because the uh, the test, the study was only going to be for a short amount of time. So they wanted to get to the uh, mindset of a prisoner quicker. So uh, That's where else? the thing that they're doing. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Also, this was the 70s, so. Oh, uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, they don't really care about, you know, the whole human rights thing. Yeah. So the chain on the foot was also not common in most prisons, but was used in order to remind the prisoners of the oppressiveness of their environment. So even when the prisoners were asleep, they couldn't escape the atmosphere of the oppression. And when a prisoner turned over, the chain would hit his other foot and wake him up and remind him that he was still in prison. And the use of the ID numbers was a way to make the prisoners feel anonymous So each prisoner had to be called only by his ID number and could only refer to himself and the other prisoners by number. The stocking cap on the head was a substitute for having the prisoners shave their heads. Um, The process of having their head shaved um, takes place in most prisons, well, did at the time, as well as Mm -hmm. in the military, and it's designed in part to minimize each person's individuality since some people express their individuality through their hairstyle or their hair length. So this was to get everyone wearing the same thing, calling each other by number, looking exactly the same as much as they possibly could in this shorter time frame. Yeah. So as with real prisoners, the prisoners in the study expected some harassment um, and have their privacy and other civil civil rights violated while they were in the fake prison, and to get a minimally adequate diet, as you would expect in a prison. So the official That's... website for the experiment also makes a note that says that all of this was part of the informed consent that they agreed they had agreed to when they volunteered. So there's, uh, I got a lot of this information from the official Stanford Prison Experiment website. And it's written by uh, Philip Zimbardo, so the guy that did the experiment. So there's a couple of notes in there where he's like, well, they were informed of this or just kind of like trying to save his own ass. Right. I mean, That's, no one, spoiler uh, alert, no one dies during this, but still, it's but not a great situation. It's still, it's gross. Situation. It's gross, yeah. yeah. So like, meanwhile, what the, f- the like. <laughs> 
Why the are guards, people like this? Yeah, it's fucked up. So the guards were given no specific training on how to be guards. Mm-hmm. And um, instead, they were free within limits to do whatever they thought was necessary to maintain law and order in the prison and to command the respect of the prisoners. So the guards made up their own set of rules, which they carried into effect under the supervision of Warden David Jaffe, uh, who was an undergraduate from Stanford University. Like Jaffa Cakes? Sure. Love Jaffa Cakes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They were warned, however, of the potential seriousness of their mission and of the possible dangers in the situation that they were about to enter, um, as real guards are, uh, who voluntarily take such a dangerous job. So all the guards were dressed in identical uniforms of uh, khaki, and they carried a whistle around their necks and a billy club borrowed from actual police departments. And the guards also wore mirrored sunglasses, which present, uh, prevented anyone from seeing their eyes and reading their emotions, and it helped to further promote their anonymity. Um, there were nine guards in total and nine prisoners, Three guards worked each of three eight-hour shifts, while three prisoners occupied each of the three cells around the clock. The remaining guards and prisoners from the sample of 24 were on call in case they were needed at any time. The cells were so small that there was only about room for the three cots for the prisoners, so they pretty much just had room to sleep or sit on their cots and had pretty much no room for anything else. Um, Like, I understand that that's, I don't think it's right for prisoners, but I understand that that's what they go with for, that's what they do to them. Yeah. But like, these people don't deserve this. Like. No. It's just extremely. Towards the end of the experiment, I'll, I'll talk more about how, like, this is in such a short time frame and imagine being the, like the prison consultant that they had brought in that was in jail for 17 years like it it's you can't even compare the two it's insane what they have to go through yeah so um at 2 30 in the morning on the first night the prisoners were woken up to blasting whistles um and the first of many counts and the count served as the purpose of familiarizing the prisoners with their numbers and they took place several times each shift and often in the middle of the night so they like they lined up the prisoners and made them say their their number so instead of saying their name they have to recite their number and they go through and they do it multiple times so all right um, that's not abnormal or anything i i think it's something that the guards came up with i'm not sure um but it just feels very i guess the word i'm looking for is dehumanizing like that they're nothing more than a number that's kind of what they were going for but like i know but at the same time like super fucked up like just yeah like no 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 so uh these counts also provided a regular occasion for the guards to exercise control over the prisoners and at first the prisoners weren't completely into their roles and they didn't take uh the counts too seriously and they started trying to assert their independence and the guards were also feeling like they were feeling out their new roles and they weren't sure how to assert authority over the prisoners and it was just the beginning of a series of direct confrontations between the guards and the prisoners um also push-ups were a very common form of physical punishment and um 
they uh, were used to display uh, in case of improper attitudes towards the guards. Um, the researchers first saw the guards demanding push-ups from the prisoners, and they initially thought that it was an inappropriate kind of punishment, hmm. um, especially for a prison. Like, right. that's not the number one punishment you think of. Um, they thought it was actually pretty juvenile and minimal, but the push-ups were often used as a form of punishment in Nazi concentration camps, as uh, oh, more research shit. shows. Yeah, um, one of the guards that's also fucked up. That's yeah. that's way too far. I'm sorry. Like, no. Yeah. No. No. It, no. It's no, pretty no. fucked up to There's, think of that. But no. I don't. I don't know if the 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 kids playing the guards knew i keep calling them kids but yeah no i know what you like mean orange. yeah um i don't know kids, if they knew so. that that was a form of punishment in nazi concentration camps or they just did it because like they don't know what else to do <laughs> they don't I know wanna, it's like, tough to tell whether or not like they're that aware or not yeah and that's um, and that goes for multiple situations not even just this yeah but that goes in many situations it's like okay well are they doing this because of that association or are they just doing it i don't i just think they did it because it was in their head yeah it's just one of the things it's like, like okay well we could do this get, yeah go get down and give me 20 what do we do like, yeah well and you see immediate... it in movies sometimes too but yeah. it's more in like military schools and things like that not in like yeah internment true. camps yeah but again um, they're not like trained guards so to speak yeah. So uh, one of the guards also stepped on the prisoners' backs while they did their push-ups, or <sighs> they made the other prisoners step on, step or sit on the backs of fellow prisoners while they were no, doing no, push-ups. No, 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 no. Yeah, pretty fucked up. That's really so, that, not even fucked up. That's dangerous. Like if you put too much pressure on a person, like that can have some serious ramifications. Yeah. I mean, it just. But this is all day this one. This is really, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is really disheartening. Yeah. So, starting day two, um, in an act of rebellion, the prisoners removed their stocking caps, and they ripped off their numbers, and they barricaded themselves inside the cells by putting their beds against the door, and they began to taunt and curse at the guards and made them super pissed. So, Honestly, when the morning well shift... deserved. Yes. Uh, when the morning shift of guards came on, they were upset with the night shift who they felt were too lenient and the guards had to handle the rebellion themselves and they insisted that reinforcements be called in the three guards on standby came in and the night shift guards voluntarily stayed on and they collectively decided to treat force with force so they took fire extinguishers and pointed them at the prisoners and threatened them no. away from the cell doors yeah this is this is day two of this by the way I don't know if we this got the gravity of the situation. Yeah, like, no, but that's that's the thing. Like, this is disgusting. Yeah, it already gets crazy. Um, so the guards broke into each of the cells, stripped the prisoners naked, took the beds out, and forced the ringleader of the rebellion into solitary confinement. And then they just generally began to harass and intimidate the prisoners. Um, so that's that kind of handled that rebellion for a little bit. Um, for now. And the guards regrouped. And they figured nine guards could handle nine inmates, but nine guards couldn't also be on duty at the same time. So one of the guards came up with the solution saying, let's use psychological tactics instead of physical ones. And psychological tactics 
amounted to setting up a privilege cell. So one of the three cells was designated to be the privilege cell. And the three prisoners least involved in the rebellion were given special privileges. They got their uniforms back, they got their beds back, and they were allowed to wash and brush their teeth, while the others weren't. Privileged prisoners also got to eat special food in the presence of the other prisoners who had temporarily lost their privilege of eating. And the effect was to break the solidarity amongst the prisoners, which these, the, the people playing the guards didn't have any training on how to be guards right. or how to handle a riot or something like that. But on day two, they came up with a pretty effective way to handle uh, something like this. Like oh. if every, if nine inmates are going to rise up and, uh, and fight together, then the first thing you have to do is break them apart. Something and tells me I'm not going to like this. No, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't get better from here. Um, where where was I? Hold on. Okay, so um, after half a day of the of this treatment, the guards then took some of the good prisoners and put them into the bad cells, and took some of the bad prisoners and put them into the good cell. Um, and it, this confused all of the prisoners. So yeah, that's so, yeah. Okay. They were like, "What the fuck is happening now?" So uh, some of the prisoners who were the ringleaders now thought that the prisoners from the privileged cell must be uh, informers, and they all became distrustful of each other. And the ex-convict consultant for the experiment said that similar tactics were used by real guards in real prisons to break prisoner alliances. Um, for example, they use racism to pit groups of people against each other. And um, in a real prison, the greatest threat to a prisoner's life actually comes from fellow prisoners, not by the guards. Um, so by dividing and conquering in this way, the guards promote aggression among inmates, which deflects it from themselves. And the prisoner's rebellion also played an important role in producing greater solidarity amongst the guards. Now it was no longer just an experiment. Instead, the guards saw the prisoners as troublemakers who were out to get them and who might actually cause them harm. And in response to this threat, the guards began stepping up their control, their surveillance, and their aggression. Um, even going to the bathroom became a privilege that the guards that's, could grant or deny at any moment. That's disgusting. Yeah. Even worse, that's a bucket was left for all the prisoners to use after lights out and sometimes the guards wouldn't even allow them to empty the bucket. Oh my god. No, that's a that's a health issue. That's a health hazard. That's that's a health issue. Like 100%. Like once who again, was, who was, was monitoring it's this? It's the 70s. Oh god. Um, oh god. Oh god. Oh yeah. god. Oh god. So the guards were especially tough on the ringleader of the rebellion, which was prisoner 5401. And um, he was a heavy smoker, and they controlled him by regulating his opportunity to smoke. And uh, we later learned um, the researchers uh, censored the prisoner's mail, and he was um, a self-styled radical uh, activist, and he had volunteered in order to expose the study, which he mistakenly thought was an establishment tool to find ways to control student radicals. And he planned to sell the story to an underground newspaper when the experiment was over. Um, but he fell so completely into the role of the prisoner that he was proud to be elected the leader of the 
uh, quote unquote, Stanford County Jail uh, Grievances Committee. And um, he wrote all of this in a letter to his girlfriend. So they okay. didn't vet this. They That's... didn't vet this kid enough. No. To find out that he was funny because they did such a good job vetting the prisoners. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so less than 36 hours into the experiment, prisoner 8612 began suffering from acute emotional disturbance, disorganized thinking, uncontrollable crying, and rage. In spite of all this, the research team had already come to think so much like prison authorities that they thought he was trying to con them into releasing him. So when the oh. primary prison consultant interviewed prisoner eight six one two, the con- the consultant said that he was being weak and told him that uh, what kind of abuse he could expect from guards and prisoners if he were at a real prison. Uh, what eight six one? Yeah. So he didn't give him any relief. Eight six one two was then given the offer to become an informant in exchange for no further guard harassment, and um, was told to think that it was over. So during the next count, prisoner 8612 told the other, other prisoners, you can't leave, you can't quit. And this sent a chilling message to all the prisoners and it heightened their sense of imprisonment. 8612 then began to act crazy and he screamed and cursed and went into a rage and he seemed out of control. And it took a little bit of time before the researchers became convinced that he was actually suffering and he was eventually released. This is day wow. two. This is the end of day two. Wow. Like the fact that it fucks you up that much. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day was um, there was a visiting hour that was held for parents and friends. And the research team was worried that the parents um, would insist that their sons come home if they saw the state of the jail. So right. they manipulated the situation. No. Um, yeah, so they made the visitors think that the prison environment was pleasant. So the prisoners were washed, shaved, and groomed, and they cleaned their cells, and they were fed a big dinner, and there was music playing on the intercom, uh, and they even had, which is crazy, they even had an attractive former Stanford cheerleader um, as a front desk girl. What the fuck? Yeah, it's fucking nuts. So when a dozen or so visitors came, uh, they thought it was kind of a fun novel experience and um, they were systematically brought under control. So they had to register, they had to wait half an hour, and they were uh, told that only two visitors could see one prisoner. And they were limited to only 10 minutes of visiting time and it was to be under surveillance of a guard. So before any of the parents could enter the visiting area, they also had to discuss their son's case with the warden. And of course, the parents complained about the arbitrary rules, but they complied with them. And they became players in the little prison drama that was being created and being the good middle class adults. um, Some of the parents got upset when they saw how tired and distressed their sons were but their reaction was to work within the system to appeal privately to the superintendent to make conditions better for their son. Um, one mother even said to uh, Dr. Zimbardo um, that she had never seen her son looking so bad, and Zimbardo responded by shifting the blame uh, from her the son uh, from the situation to her son, and he was like, "What's the matter with your boy? Why doesn't he sleep well?" 
So then the father, but um, he asked the father, what do you think your boy can, can handle? Can he, can he handle this? And if the father of course was like, uh, of course he can. He's, he's a real tough kid. So um, then the father said, come on, honey, we've wasted enough time already. And uh, said, see you next visiting time. So they literally are feeling like their son is in prison. That's, this is it's crazy and they're not even they're not even in the experiment yeah like that's but they're still acting the part which is insane so the next major event that was rumored was a mass escape plot one of the guards overheard that the prisoners were talking about an escape that would take place immediately after the visiting hours and apparently prisoner 8612 who was released the night before was going to round up a bunch of his friends and break in to free the rest of the prisoners. So instead of recording the pattern of rumor transmission and observe the impending escape, the researchers grew concerned over the security of the prison, and they held a strategy strategy session with the warden, the superintendent, and one of the chief lieutenants, uh, Craig Haney, on how to foil the escape. And it was decided that they would put an informant in the cell that 8612 had occupied to gather more information about the escape plot. Uh, Dr. Zimbardo even went to Palo Alto Police Department and asked the sergeant if they can have the, pr- the prisoners transferred to their old jail. And the request was turned down because the police department wouldn't be able to cover them by insurance. So they were like, no, weirdo, keep your kids in their weird experiment in the school. Um... So the new plan was to dismantle the jail after the visitors left, call in more guards, chain the prisoners together, put bags over their heads, and transport them to the fifth floor storage room. What the fuck? Yeah. This is getting a little out of hand. It's getting a lot out of hand. Like, I just... I... It's... It's incredibly frustrating, but it's... It's... This isn't how we should be treating other human beings. Like, it's bad enough that the prison system treats people who have done something wrong this way, but the fact that they are treating people who have literally done nothing to deserve this. And this is is the research team that is doing this. Yes. They have delved so far deeply down the prison rabbit hole that they think that this is really an escape plot that is going to cause harm to someone. Right. Instead of Absolutely. some punk kid and his friends, like, trying to get these other kids out. Yeah. That's, which is crazy. That's not right. So, it's just not. <laughs> even crazier. So, um, the plan was when the uh, conspirators came, Dr. Zimbardo would be sitting there and tell them that the experiment was over and that all of their friends were sent home because the prison would have been dismantled at that time. So, uh, after they left, the prisoners would be brought back and the security of the prison would be fortified. Um, the rumor of the prison break turned out to be just a rumor and the research team had spent an entire day planning to foil an escape, beg the police department for help and move the prisoners, dismantled most of the prison and they didn't even collect any data that day. Uh, they were incredibly frustrated and, um, I'm incredibly frustrated. Yeah. Uh, so... Obviously, they put their frustration onto the experiment. Yeah. So oh, of course. The That's guard, what abusers do. Yeah. 
So the guards again escalated very noticeably their level of harassment, increasing the humiliation that they made the prisoners suffer and forced them to do menial, repetitive work, such as cleaning out toilet bowls with their bare hands. Uh, the guards had prisoners do push-ups, jumping jacks, whatever they could think of, and they increased the length of the counts to several hours each. Um, at this point in the study, a Catholic priest who had been a um, prison chaplain, is that the name of the... Chaplain, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was a prison chaplain, and he was invited to evaluate how realistic the prison situation was. And he interviewed each prisoner individually. And amazingly, half the prisoners introduced themselves by number rather than name. That's so sad. Yeah. And after um, some small talk, he asked the key question to each of the prisoners, um, which was, son, what are you doing to get out of here? And when the prisoners responded really confused he explained that the only way out of the prison was with the help of a lawyer he then volunteered to contact their parents to get legal aid if they wanted him to and some of the prisoners accepted his offer so the priest's visit further blurred the lines between the role-playing and reality and in daily life this man was a real priest but um he learned to play a stereotyped programmed role so well that he seemed more like a movie version of a priest than a real priest. And it added to the uncertainty everyone was feeling about their roles. Um, and it further took away what their personal identity was. So the only prisoner who didn't want to speak to the priest was prisoner 819. And he was feeling sick. He had refused to eat. And he wanted to see a doctor rather than a priest. And eventually he... Uh, was persuaded to come out of his cell and talk to the priest and the superintendent so they could see what kind of doctor he needed. And while talking, he broke down and began to cry hysterically, just as the other two boys uh, who were released. Um, the chain on his foot, the cap on his head uh, were taken off, and he was told to go rest in a room that was adjacent to the prison yard. And um, while this was happening, one of the guards lined up the prisoners and had them chant aloud, Prisoner 819 is a bad prisoner. Because of what Prisoner 819 did, my cell is a mess, Mr. Correctional Officer. And they shouted this statement in unison about a dozen times. And when the researchers realized that 819 could hear their chanting, they went back to uh, where he was and they found him sobbing uncontrollably. Uh, while in the background, his fellow prisoners were yelling that he was a bad prisoner. Oh my god, and, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, this is horrible. So, the chanting wasn't um, disorganized or full of fun as it had been on the first day. This was this was real. They actually believed what they were saying. So, even... This is the most heartbreaking part. So, through his tears, he said he couldn't leave because the others had labeled him a bad prisoner. So, even though he was feeling sick and... He wanted to go back to prove that he wasn't a bad prisoner. And at this point, Dr. Zimbardo stepped in and said, listen, you're not 819. You're whatever his name was. And my yeah. name is Dr. Zimbardo. I'm a psychologist, not a prison superintendent. And this is not a real prison. This is an experiment. And those are students, not prisoners, just like you. Let's go. So he what stopped crying fuck? suddenly. And he looked like he had just woken up from a nightmare. And he was like, all right, let's go. I would have killed him. So, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. That's three days. That's three days of his life of emotional turmoil that he is going to take maybe years of therapy to get over. And 
that he, three days that he'll never get back and that's that's not unfortunately i don't have a lot of kosher. information on the uh the subjects of the study after the study is over right so um i don't really have too much knowledge on what their recovery right, from this right. experiment was like um but yeah after th- just three days can fuck you up that much that you don't even like use your real <sighs> name or really know where you are or something like that it's unbelievable yeah so the next day all the prisoners um who thought they had grounds for being paroled were chained together and individually brought before the parole board and the board was composed mainly of people who were strangers to the prisoners departmental secretaries and graduate students and it was headed by the top prison consultant the ex-convict so when the prisoners were asked whether they would forfeit the money that they had earned up until this point to be paroled most of them said yes and then when the hearings ended the prisoners were told to go back to their cells while their requests were considered every prisoner obeyed even though they could have gotten the same result by simply quitting the experiment (laughs) so the the real question is why did they obey and i think the answer is because they felt powerless to resist they didn't use their names anymore they only went by number they thought they were in a real prison and they lost most of their personality yeah so their sense of reality had shifted and they no longer perceived their imprisonment as an experiment they this was their new reality right so during the parole hearings there was also the unexpected unexpected metamorphosis of the prison consultant the ex-convict as he adopted the role of the head of the parole board he literally became the hated official um that he hated when he was in prison um he he hated this transformation so much that um when it was over he felt sick at who would be who had he had become um he was actually previously rejected for his annual parole uh 16 times when he was a prisoner so he had gone before wow. the same board and asked for the same thing and had the same uh reaction just state your case go back to your cell we'll review it and then get denied that's which is nuts yeah um so by the fifth day a new relationship had emerged between the prisoners and the guards and the guards now fell into their jobs more easily um a job that sometimes was boring and other times was interesting just like any job um there were three types of guards first there was the tough but fair guards who followed the prison rules that they themselves had created The second were the good guys who did little favors for the prisoners and never punished them. And then there was the third type of guard that was very hostile, arbitrary, and inventive with their forms of humiliation. And these guards appeared to be, uh, to thoroughly enjoy their power that they were wielding. Um, But none of the preliminary personality tests were able to predict this type of behavior. The only link between the personality uh, and the prison behavior was finding that the prisoners um with a high degree of authoritarian authoritarianism i'm totally not saying that right authoritarianism um, uh, yes that's authoritarianism it. <laughs> um, I, I it took me a second i was like what is she trying to say yeah so <laughs> they endured the prison environment longer than other prisoners did 
I mean, that makes sense, but doesn't make it okay. Yeah, it's true. So the prisoners actually nicknamed one of the most macho and brutal guards in the study, uh, John Wayne. And actually, in another weird twist, the most notorious guard in um, a Nazi prison near Buchenwald was named Tom Mix, which was a John Wayne of an earlier era um, because of his Wild West cowboy image. So that's so far two uh, connections to Nazi concentration camps. Yeah, like what is going on? Yeah, but it's an unconscious connection. They don't know that the same thing happened. That just goes to show. Yeah. So the prisoners coped with their feelings of frustration and powerlessness in different ways. And at first, some of the prisoners rebelled or fought with the guards. Four prisoners reacted by breaking down emotionally as a way to escape the situation. One prisoner developed a psychosomatic rash all over his body uh, when he learned that the parole request was turned down. Others tried to cope by being good prisoners and doing everything the guards wanted them to. One of them was even nicknamed Sarge because he was so military-like in executing his commands. So, by the end of the study, the prisoners were uh, disintegrated as a group and as individuals. They were no longer um, unity in the group. Uh, It was just a bunch of isolated individuals hanging on, much like prisoners of war or hospitalized mental patients, which is the connection that the actual website made. Uh, The the guards had won total control of the prison, and they commanded with blind obedience over each prisoner. There was one final act of rebellion, and that's when prisoner uh, 416, who was newly admitted as one of the standby prisoners because they had let four other prisoners go, uh, he went on a hunger strike to force his release, and unlike the other prisoners who had experienced a gradual escalation of harassment, this prisoner's horror was full-blown when he arrived. Um, the quote-unquote old-timer prisoners told him that quitting was impossible and that it was a real prison. So after several unsuccessful attempts to get him to eat, the guards threw him in solitary confinement for three hours, even though their own rules stated that one hour was the limit. Still, uh, number 416 refused um, to eat at this point, and um, he was kind of seen as a hero among the other prisoners. Okay. Well, he should yeah, have been I know a hero. What you mean. He should have been a hero to the other prisoners, but uh, instead they saw him as a troublemaker because the head guard then exploited this feeling by giving the prisoners a choice. They could have four one six come out of solitary if they were willing to give up their blankets, or they could leave what? him in solitary for the night. Most elected to keep their blanket and let the fellow prisoners suffer in solitary that night. Dude, come on. Yeah, it's every man for himself at this point. And, There's no I, unity amongst them. I was going to say, I don't, I don't fault these people because they don't understand, basically. Yeah, they like, don't know when they're getting out, pretty fault. much. Yeah. And again, like I said at the very beginning, there's no windows, there's no clocks. They literally don't even know how long they've been in there. That's... Because they're just being told to sleep. They're being waken up at odd hours uh, to do counts. They they must not even know what day it is. Yeah. So on the fifth night, some visiting parents asked Dr. Zimbardo to contact a lawyer in order to get their son out of prison after the priest had called them to tell them that they should get a lawyer or a public defender if they wanted to bail out their son. 
Uh, a lawyer was called in as requested and came the next day to interview the prisoners with a standard set of legal questions, even though he too was in on the experiment. Um, at one point, it became clear that the study had to end. An overwhelming, powerful situation had been created in which the prisoners were withdrawing and behaving in pathological ways. Um, wow, no some of the shit. guards, Yeah, some of the guards were behaving sadistically. Did you come across he, that all on your own? Yeah, it's again, this is five days. So even the good guards felt helpless to intervene and none of the guard, none of the guards quit during the, the, the time of the study. So four prisoners had been let go, but none of the guards. Um, Yikes. No, (laughs) it's also should be noted that no guard ever came in late for a shift, called in sick, left early or demanded extra pay for overtime work. They were just happy to be there. That's also upsetting. That's also not okay. Yeah. So the study ended early for two reasons. First, the researchers had learned through videotapes that the guards were escalating their abuse of prisoners in the middle of the night when there were no researchers there watching the experiment. And their boredom had driven them into even more degrading abuse of the prisoners. Uh, There was no details on what those actions were, but... If it's worse than what they did while the researchers were watching, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So the second reason that the experiment ended early was um, a recent Stanford PhD grad, uh, Christina Maslock. Um, She was brought in to conduct interviews with the guards and the prisoners. And when she saw the conditions, she strongly objected. Um especially when she saw them being marched to the bathroom with bags over their heads and their legs chained together. Um, God. She was outraged and she said, it's terrible what you're doing to these boys. And out of 50 or more outsiders who had seen the prison, she was the only one to ever question the morality of it. And I, I, that's wow. Yeah. Wow. And so wow. once she saw the power of the situation, it became clear that the study had to end. So after six days, um, it was planned for two weeks, but after six days, the experiment was called off. Which is fucking nuts. It was less than half the time that they thought it was going to take. So on the last day, a series of encounter sessions were held first with the guards, then with all the prisoners, including those who had been released earlier, and then finally with the guards, prisoners, and the staff together. And this was done to get everyone's feelings out in the open, to recount what they had observed in each other and themselves, and to share their experiences. Um, They also reviewed the moral alternatives that had been available so that they would be better equipped to behave morally in the future in real-life situations avoiding or opposing situations that might transform ordinary individuals into willing perpetrators or victims of evil. So two months after the study, um, the reaction of prisoner 416, who was placed in solitary confinement was this. So he said, quote, I began to feel like I was losing my identity. The person that I called clay, the person who put me in this place, the person who volunteered to go to this prison because it was a prison to me. It still is a prison to me. I don't regard it as an experiment or a simulation because it was a prison run by psychologists instead of by the state. I began to feel that uh, that that identity, the 
person that I was um, that it was that I had to decide to go to prison was distant from me. Uh, it was remote until finally I wasn't that. I was 416. I was just a number. End quote. And compare this reaction to that of a prisoner who wrote Dr. Zimbardo from an Ohio penitentiary after being in solitary confinement for an inhuman length of time. He said, quote, I was recently released from solitary confinement after being held there for 37 months. The silence uh, system was imposed upon me, and if I even whispered to the man in the next cell, it resulted in being beaten by the guards, sprayed with chemical mace, blackjacked, stomped, and thrown into a uh, strip cell naked to sleep on the concrete floor without bedding. Uh, I couldn't, no covering, no uh, wash basin, or even a toilet. Uh I know that thieves must be punished, and I don't justify stealing, even though I am a thief myself. Sorry, but now I. It's okay. (laughs) But now I don't think I will be a thief when I am released. No, I am. I'm not rehabilitated either. It's just that I no longer think of becoming wealthy or stealing. I now only think of killing, killing those who have beaten me and treated me as if I were a dog. I hope and pray for the sake of my own soul and future life of freedom that I am able to overcome the bitterness and hatred which eats daily at my soul. But I know to overcome it will not be easy. End quote. That's... That should be the only quote you need to realize that this prison system is fucked up. Exactly. Just how extreme oh my god the whole point of a prison is rehabilitation rehabilitation and release that's what it's supposed to be for they're not supposed to be held there for their entire lives no it's especially for you stole something i don't have this entire this guy's entire backstory Yeah, yeah 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 but he said he's a thief so did he kill anyone also why was he stealing that also plays a role was it was it because to escape a life of poverty that he was already thrown into yes should he have been probably called prisoner 24601 we don't know no but that's and if anything they made him and his situation worse yeah so the study ended on august 20th 1971 The next day, there was an alleged escaped attempt at San Quentin Prison. Prisoners in the Maximum Adjustment Center were released from their cells by Soledad brother George Jackson, who had smuggled the gun into the prison. Several guards and other informant prisoners were tortured and murdered murdered during the attempt, but the escape was prevented uh, after the leader was allegedly gunned down while trying to scale a 30-foot-high prison wall. Oh, my. Less than a month later... Prisoners, uh, prisons made more news when a riot erupted at Attica Prison in New York Mm -hmm. after weeks of negotiations with prisoners who held guards hostage while demanding basic human rights. New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller ordered the National Guard to take back the prison by full force. Wow. Uh, Wow, A great many guards and prisoners were killed and injured during the ill-advised decision. So one of the major oh, demands God. of the prisoners at Attica was that they be treated like human beings. And yeah. after, after observing the simulated prison for only six days, the research team could understand how prisons dehumanize people, turning them into objects and instilling them in, uh, instilling in them feelings of hopelessness. And as for the guards, it's easy to see how scary 
um, that ordinary people can be transformed from Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde. Uh, but, so this really makes you take a, a different look at the prison system. And the boys in this study went through it for only six days. Exactly. But that one guy that went through solitary confinement for 37 months. Uh, yeah, I can understand wanting to murder someone after that. I I just, I mean, they, they ruined their lives. Even if it was three days, five days, six days, yeah. however many days, they ruined their lives. Yeah. So, um, with such an interesting and in-depth story you can imagine the type of movies that would be made oh god uh, here we yeah. go uh but before i get to the movies there's actually a los angeles um well there was a los angeles based punk band active from the early 1990s to the early 2000s called the stanford prison experiment huh i couldn't find too much more information about them no but that's but really interesting that is really interesting Huh. Um, so there's a 50 minute documentary written by, uh, Zimbardo that was put out in 1992 called quiet rage. And it's just a documentary documenting the whole study start to finish by the man who created the study. Um, didn't find any ratings or anything like that, but it is advertised on like on the Stanford prison experiment page. So I think you can even purchase it there. Wow. So you can watch that if you want. Um, in 2010, there was a movie called The Experiment. Um, and the synopsis for that was um, unemployed Travis enrolls in a psychological role-playing experiment where participants assume the identities of inmates and prison guards in an empty jail with the promise of a $1,000 a day reward. Another part participant barris embraces his correctional officer role with vengeance and before long the prisoners find themselves in the mercy of their keepers all the test subjects discover how easy uh how easily violence and cruelty can manifest itself in human behavior this is the exact premise of <laughs> the actual stanford prison experiment yeah so it got an audience score of 49 percent on rotten tomatoes Yee. and a google score of 85 percent that's so it's a toss-up. Yeah, I was going to say, those are different. <laughs> There's also a 2001 German thriller called Das Experiment, um, which is the same thing. Uh, it got a Rotten Tomato score of 72, audience score of 88, and a Google score of 85. Okay. So pretty good. Yeah. But my favorite is um, the Stanford Prison Experiment, and it's a 2015 docudrama thriller depicting the experiment. And the critics' consensus is that um, it's, quote, as chilling, thought-provoking as it is absorbing and well-acted, the Stanford Prison Experiment offers historical drama and packs a timeless, relevant punch. It got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 83%, an audience score of 75%, a Google score of 90%, and a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Okay. And it stars Ezra Miller. As oh, we have already and you know how we feel about. about them. Yes. Uh, we want them to play Richard Ramirez real bad. Love them. Um, they were in Perks of Being a Wallflower. And yes. like I had mentioned in our casting episode, we need to talk about Kevin. Which and is they were in the Justice phenomenal. League. They played the Flash. Yeah. Yeah. 
we don't need um, to talk about the Justice League any further, but they were in it, and they were one <laughs> yes. of the redeeming qualities. Uh, another uh, notable actor in the movie is Michael Angarano, I think is how you say his last name. He was I think in I Speak know. I was going to say, he was in Sky High, and he was in Lords of yes. Dogtown. Okay. I only, I, when I'm going through the, the IMDB pages, I just pick out ones that I know off the top of my head. You so he was know. in Speak and Sky he, he was, High. He's also, he plays on the new iteration of Will and Grace. He plays Jack's son. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, there was also Johnny Simmons, who was also oh! in Perks of Being a Wallflower. Scott yeah, Pilgrim. Yeah, we love and, him. He was in, he was in, um, that one with, with, um, Amanda Zyfred and Megan, um, the hot one, um, <laughs> Megan Fox. Me- Megan Fox? And, yeah. The, he was in 21 the Jump Street. Warm body, no, not Warm Bodies. He was in 21 Jump Street, but what's Jennifer's the one I was thinking body. of? Jennifer's body. I knew there was a body. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and, and that movie, I think we've talked about it before. It looks like it's going to be like all sex all the time because it was really like poorly marketed as that way because Megan Fox was in it. Yeah. But it's such a good movie. She it's has so, toe thumbs. She does have toe thumbs. It's her one imperfection and I'm willing to let it slide. Um, no, I don't like it. Never she, let it slide. She's so good in that movie though, even yeah. with the toe thumbs and that entire movie. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, I know it looks shitty. It's really not. Yeah. Like it's it's a cult classic I for sure. Seen it. I have also uh, seen it, despite my scaredy catedness. I know, I know. Well, it was like <laughs> when it was like when I was like in high school and I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of things that my mother deemed inappropriate, and so it was on HBO, and I was able to get away with her not finding out. So it was like I took what I could get. All right, anything to be somewhat socially relevant because that's yeah. what high school's all about. And then the last notable actor that I had to mention was Olivia Thurlby, I think is how you say her last name. Thurlby? And she was T-H-I-R-L-B-Y. the best friend in Juno. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that's how you say it. Yeah. She was the best friend I in Juno. I think that's how you say it. That's how I say it. So I just assume. But she was the best friend in Juno. She was the yeah. one she would like. I was like, I knew I recognized her somewhere. She was, um, uh, it's, it, it's escaping me now. She was in something else too um she was in a lot of things if you look at her imdb but that's the one i noticed she was in what is the name uh, i'm like i'm not well just mentally emotionally oh, any of it i know i know you know no strings attached oh, i was like yeah, not yeah. the one with mila kunis yeah those two movies came out at the same time i know it's gross it's awful like um space them so out. uh the real life Researcher, Dr. Zimbardo, was a consultant on this film. Oh. And it also won two awards at Sundance that year. Honestly, year that though, these out. people should be in jail. My my hot take. Be. My hot take. I I want to say the Stanford Prison Experiment is on Netflix right now. You can, I can go and look. check. Well, for Americans. Yeah, for, for our U.S.-based Because we, we didn't get into hot water, per se, but a lot of people were very upset, not with us, but just in general, when we were like... Um, the Ted Bundy biopic is on Netflix and like a bunch of our like Mexican listeners. And I think we had yeah, like a listener in, in England or whatever. Days, yeah. yeah. They all were like, uh, not here. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I think it released, it released a different day for Australia too. And we have a bunch of people listening from Australia. So they were like, what the fuck? I know. And I'm sorry about that again, but it is, yeah. it is, it is on, um, Netflix. I just looked. Stanford Prison Experiment. Is? Yes, in the U.S., it's on Netflix. Uh, Haley, it's got Billy Crudup. You you lead with that. 
I'm sorry. It's got I'm just picking Billy names. Crudup in it. That's a big one. That's a big one. He was, um, I'm trying to think of what you would know him in. I know him from Almost Famous. Um, okay. Yeah, he was I know also Almost in, Famous. He, yeah, he was in Almost Famous. He was in Watchmen. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I watch superhero thing. He all, um, what else was he in? I'm trying to think of like, because there are things that he's been in, but I don't know if you would know them, not to be like that person. I don't watch a but lot of movies. I know you don't. So that's movies. why I'm like, what movies has Haley seen that he's in? Um, yeah. Did you, did you? But I did see this movie and you should yes. a thousand percent go see it because it is amazing. And it's like to a T what the experiment was. Okay. Like everything I just read, you can go and watch that. Oh, I don't know if I want to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very fantastic. Upsetting. Ezra Miller is a dream. I love him. Um, I just love uh, or them. Excuse me. I them, love them yes. very much. I love them very much. But I do. I love them. Yes. Um, the last thing I wanted to uh, mention was that Philip Zimbardo wrote a book in 2007. Oh, called the Lu- yeah. It's called The Lucifer Effect: Understanding How Good People Turn Evil. And does he talk about himself being evil? It became a what now? It became a New York Times bestseller, and I th- I haven't read it, but uh-uh. I don't know if he tries to justify himself very uh-uh. much. Uh 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 uh. No 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 no. He doesn't deserve that. He no. At least he shut the experiment down. Oh, he but just after what? Kept that shit he should. Going. No, but he could have just you know not fucking started it in the first place. Yeah, it was after one person came in, one woman came in and be like, "The fuck are you all doing here?" Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's a woman. Of course it is. <laughs> it always is. Ruining all the fun. Children, what are you up to? Play nice now, kids. Yes. Don't bully um, the other inmates. Anyway, we have a bunch of uh, further information on the website, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Yep. And there is also linked all of our social media. All of our, our stuff. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Anywhere you want to listen, we got it. Yeah, there's and if we don't, let us know. Spotify, we'll get on it. Podbean, Podcoin. You can earn money while listening to our podcast. You can you do it. You can. You should. And we have a code. It's I believe Crime G H E. Right, Haley? Correct me. That if I'm sounds wrong? correct. If it's not, it will be on the Instagram. It'll be on. Yeah, if you find our Podcoin thing, it'll be there. But I'm like 99 percent sure that it's Crime G H E. That sounds. That sounds correct for some reason. But anyway, seems correct um, to me. But what do I know? Yeah, we've not much. Taken up what do you mean? Yeah, of, what? I was like, "What do I know?" And you went, "Yeah, yeah." You know nothing. <laughs> uh, we've taken up enough of everyone's time, including so, ours. <laughs> including <laughs> ours. I have to go pack for a trip. Oh, you so, poor, poor thing. Eee. Poor sweet muffin head. We'll talk about that next time. Yeah, we will. So, uh, see you next Tuesday. Yes. And, and also shout out to Customers Also Watched, which is a great podcast if you haven't listened to it. Oh, a thousand percent. She yes. she talks about how like she does like reviews on really like shitty horror movies or I guess I shouldn't call them shitty, but she like, for example, one of the ones that I really loved was she there's, did all of the so prom nights. Sh- yes there's so many more shitty horror movies than there are good ones there are and so they're all on amazon she's never prime. gonna have a lack of yeah yeah but if you if you have prime listen to her podcast because she just she breaks it down for you and she's got yeah, it's she's got like, some good ones on there it reminds me of one of my other favorite podcasts um how did this get made 
where they watch uh, yeah. like a shitty movie Michael likes- and then they talk about it. Yeah. So it's that kind of concept, which is my favorite, but yes. for horror movies, which is my double favorite. Yes. So go and listen to customers also watched. Yes. Right? Yes. Also watched. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And again, that's like, that's customers also watched. It's Erica is the host and she always brings on really fun, cool guest hosts and yes. she's just amazing. And we love her. Yes. Yes. And then share the listen, love. Listen to our friends, uh, Brothers of Dysfunction. Yes. Funk, like F U N K. Like like the funk. Like I, like I don't we know. We brought I'm, the funk. I'm I'm we very, got the very funk. white. I don't know, man. I'm like F U N K, that's all. That's all. Just yep. and then dis is D Y S. So it's brothers of D Y S F U N K T I O N. Ha. Yeah. We go and listen this. to we them. This. Go yeah. and listen to customers also watch. Go and listen to anybody else we shout out on any of our social media. Go listen <laughs> to us. Make money while listening to us. Podcoin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, bye. Boop, 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 boop. Bye. Thanks again to Women's Day. What? Oh, yes. Thank you again, Women's Day. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck did she say? <laughs> okay, that was enough of that. Okay, bye now. Bye. For real, for real this time. Bye.